Let me give a little background, which you're probably already familiar with, but let me give some background in Ruth chapter 1 to kind of set the scene a little bit. We have a family from Judah who left the house of bread, Bethlehem, to find food in Moab. And so they get down to Moab and it seems like they get settled down there a bit. And it's not a good decision that they make. Uh, After a while, the husband dies, leaving Naomi to be a widow. Two sons that they had marry Moabite women, and then the two sons die. So Naomi is left in a very difficult situation as a widow in a foreign uh, country, not having a lot of support, Um, empty, if you will. Well, what happens in chapter 1 is God calls Naomi back. She comes back. She is a picture in chapter 1 in coming back to the land of Judah of repentance, turning away from uh, Moab and coming back to the God that she worshipped, coming back to his, his land. Well, God begins to fill the emptiness of Naomi. And one thing that he does in chapter 1, he provides her some support with a companion, Ruth. And what's clear in chapter 1 is that Ruth becomes committed to the God of Israel. Uh, It's very clear, I think, that she is converted. She makes an oath using the covenant name of God. And so that's one help that God has given to Naomi. And the rest of the book of Ruth is sort of how God continues to fill up uh, Naomi's emptiness. But it's not just for Naomi. It's for the sake of God's people. And when we get to chapter 2... Well, into chapter 1, they they come back at the beginning of barley harvest. And so chapter 2 deals with a significant issue. We need food. Um, And that's what uh, chapter 2 is going to uh, focus on uh, primarily. So let's give our attention here to the reading of the Word of God. And you'll also notice um, that there you get a, a sense here of what a Moabite woman might face uh, going out to find food, uh, as several things are, are mentioned here, as you will see. So chapter 2 of, of Ruth, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping. 
and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and, and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is the very foundation upon which we can live our lives. And so we pray that you would speak to us through the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever had tunnel vision? Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision can be defined as the loss of peripheral vision so that all that you can see is right in front of you. All that you can see is what's straight ahead of you. In tunnel vision, you lose the broader perspective and your scope is limited. I did a search on tunnel vision and came across a listing of other possible symptoms. Kind of interesting. Tunnel vision and seeing lights, tunnel vision and scalp numbness, 
Tunnel vision and walking symptoms. Tunnel vision and dizziness. Tunnel vision and forgetfulness. Who would have known that all these things might go with tunnel vision? Obviously, these are talking about physical symptoms. But there is a spiritual lesson here as well. When we face a crisis in our lives, it's easy to get tunnel vision. All we can see is the crisis. It looms very large in front of us. And we lose the peripheral vision so that we don't see anything else. We lose perspective so that all that we see is what is right in front of us, that crisis that stands in our way. If we stay that way very long, it can affect the way we live our lives. Spiritually, we might come, become forgetful, apathetic, even forgetting basic spiritual things. An example of this would be a missionary by the name of James Frazor, F-R-A-S-O-R. He was a missionary to southwest China in the early 1900s. He got tunnel vision when he lost a missionary couple who had worked for him for a long time, but they moved to another area. He faced the prospect of taking care of this mission all by himself. He worked hard day by day on the things that he had to do to keep up the mission. He also focused on trying to continue his study of Chinese because he was learning the language. But he became frustrated when a day did not go the way he planned. He wrote these words. He says, I'm finding out that it's a mistake to plan to get through a certain amount of work in a certain time. It ends in disappointment. Just as you're nearly finishing, someone comes along to sit with you and have a chat. Can you imagine a missionary getting interrupted by a Chinese person to have a chat? How horrible. What he came to see was that these interruptions were from the Lord and gave him an opportunity to minister. He had become so focused on getting certain things done related to the mission that he had to do there that he forgot the real reason he was there, which was to minister to people. It's easy to get tunnel vision and to forget the broader perspective of what God can do. It's easy to panic when a crisis hits We forget God. We forget the many, many times He's helped us through difficult circumstances. Ruth and Naomi, they face a crisis. They need to eat. They need to find food. They had no means of support. Ruth must go and work the fields for food, hoping that she will find a field that will allow her, on the edges of the field, to do some gleaning. The law allowed this, made provision for those who were poor and vulnerable to come and work in the field, the edges of the field, so that they would be able to eat. But she's a Moabite. Will she be accepted? Will she be allowed to glean? This text helps us with tunnel vision. It broadens our horizon to see beyond the crisis. And we are reminded here of the abundance of God's provision, that God is active in this crisis, and He's active in our situations to provide what is needed. 
In fact, God provides in a marvelous way. And we can be assured as God's people that he will provide for us as well. So what do we learn about God's provision? How does he provide for us when we face situations of great need? Just a couple of things I want to highlight in this chapter. The first thing I want to mention is that God works through the circumstances of life to provide for his people. He works through the circumstances of life to provide for his people. God so directs the events of life itself that he accomplishes his purposes through those events. It's very clear that Ruth at the beginning of chapter 2, at the beginning of her day, had no idea where she would end up. She had no idea if she would be accepted. She had no idea which field she may end up, she might end up to do some gleaning. Verse 2, she says, I want to find someone after, after one in whose sight I shall find favor. Verse 3, this interesting phrase, she just happened to come to. Well, that's from her perspective. She just happened to come to this particular field. We're going to see in chapter 2, the broader perspective is, as readers, we already know what's going to happen. But from her perspective, she just happened to come to this one particular field. Verse 19, Naomi asked at the end of the day, where did you glean today? They, they didn't know where she would end up. As she set out that morning, she did not know if she would find favor from anyone. Her success depended on the response of the owners of the field. And she had no idea of the outcome. And yet as readers, we can see from verse 1 how God was going to provide for her because the narrator introduces for us Boaz in verse 1. God knew where she was going to end up. We as a reader now know where she's going to end up, but she had no idea where she was going to end up. All that she could see was the uncertainty. She didn't have the big picture. God always has the big picture. God knows what's going on. God knew where she was going to end up. He knows the end from the beginning. He's planning it all. She only saw the uncertainty. And that's the difficulty we face, isn't it? Many times all we can see is the uncertainty in front of us. The uncertainty of a situation that's staring us right in the face. And we have no idea how it will work out. But God sees the big picture. And he's working out his purposes for us through the circumstances of our lives, even those uncertain circumstances. And because of this, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear difficult circumstances. Those circumstances are not a hindrance to what God has in store for us. God is able to work through those circumstances to accomplish His purposes. They don't catch God by surprise. And so we must keep coming back over and over again that God is in control of the things of our lives and the circumstances of our lives. During a difficult period in my own life, this was many, 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 many years ago, I was very unsure of the future 
and things looked rather bleak. And I was reminded at that time that God knows the big picture. I distinctly remember where I was contemplating sort of my life at that point. And God brought these words to my mind. This doesn't happen to me very often. <laughs> that God just brings uh, something uh, to my mind. But these are the words that came. I'm right where God wants me. In his presence I'll dwell. The future's uncertain, but he knows it full well. Seeking to control what can't be contained. In his sovereign will, I will be sustained. That was a great comfort to me individually at that particular period in my life. And certainly as a church, as you're facing some uncertainty, you can be comforted by the fact that God works through the circumstances of life to accomplish his purposes. Well, not only does God work through our difficult circumstances to accomplish his purposes, but he also works through other people. Boaz. Boaz was exactly what Ruth needed. And really, it's going to turn out more than one way is he what Ruth needed, not only to provide food, but he's going to become a redeemer and raise up a child um, that's going to have tremendous impact uh, for not only Ruth and Naomi, but for God's people. Verse 1 tells us that Boaz was a relative of Naomi. He's described as a man of great wealth, a worthy man. He was an important man in the community. He certainly had the resources to be able to help Ruth. But more importantly, he's a man of godly character. I think you see this even in the way he greets his workers in verse 4. Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. This greeting is more than just, hey, how you doing? I hope everything's good. Part of that includes that. But it's a blessing. Boaz's words were meant to be a blessing. It's harvest time. And he's encouraging his workers that God is with them. Blessing their work. Harvest is really important if you're going to survive. Because you need food. Boaz is the instrument of God's grace toward his workers. Asking God's blessing on their work. And he's going to become the instrument of God's grace in Ruth's life. He is the one through whom Ruth finds favor in an amazing way. Verse 8. Boaz tells Ruth... Stay close to my fields. Verse 9, two things. He warns the young men not to bother her. And he tells her, you have access to food and drink. In fact, she partakes of that meal during the day. Verse 15, she's even allowed to glean among the sheaves. There's no easier way to glean than to glean among the sheaves. Those stems of grain that have been already cut and are tied together. Let her glean among the sheaves. That's amazing. God many times will provide for us through other people. He will bring along the right person at the right time. And we see the effect on Ruth in her giving thanks to Boaz. She's a bit unsure as to why he has shown her 
so much favor comes across in verse 13. I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. All the fears that Ruth had at the beginning of that day, all the questions, all the uncertainty, all the worry about how that day was going to turn out, gone because of the grace and kindness of Boaz. God brought someone along who provided exactly what Ruth needed. Instead of being treated like a foreigner, she's fully accepted. Even though she's not one of Boaz's maidservants, he treats her like she is one of his household. God uses Boaz as a channel through which he expresses his covenant faithfulness to Ruth. His provision comes through Boaz. His provision comes many times through other people. God is able to bring people into our lives who will be be an instrument of His grace right at the moment we need it. Perhaps you can think of someone whom God has so used in your life. They've they've come along at just the right time and they, they were such a blessing to your life in the way that God was able to use them. Perhaps you can become such a person. God can use you as an instrument of His grace in the life of someone else. Look for opportunities to become an instrument of God's goodness, an instrument of God's grace, that grace which you have received from God flowing out to other people. So God works through circumstances. God works through other people. But he also, in this chapter, works through the efforts of Ruth herself. She doesn't have an easy task in front of her. I mean, you can look at verse 7 and verse 17 and kind of see what her day was like. The the, the young man in charge of the reapers said at the end of verse 7, so she she came and, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. She worked all day. It was an all-day job. Harvest comes at set times of the year, and you have to glean during that time because that's when you can bring in the harvest. She works all day, and the result is rather remarkable as well. It says an ephah of barley, I think the ESV has a note, three-fifths of a bushel or 22 liters, I think 22 liters is over five gallons, um, if I have that right, which is quite a haul. And part of it is the way Boaz allowed her to glean. It's the generosity of Boaz. But it's also because Ruth was willing to work, to put effort into this situation She would have never have known the generosity of Boaz if she had not been willing to take that step of faith at the beginning of the day and go out in the midst of that uncertainty and to find a field. Trusting in the Lord. God works through her efforts. We believe strongly in the sovereignty of God. He's in control of all things. He's he's working out His purposes, but, but we can't use His sovereignty as an excuse for inactivity. Or we can't use his sovereignty as an excuse to be doing those things that we know we need to be doing. Being responsible. 
She is the one. Ruth is the one who takes the initiative at the beginning of this chapter. She's the one who says to Naomi, let me go and glean to find food. And God blesses those efforts. Ruth would not have known those blessings unless she was willing to step out and face this difficult situation. Ruth also recognizes, as important as her work is, it's very important that she's dependent on someone else's favor. The word favor occurs three times, verse 2, verse 10, and verse 13. It's a Hebrew word for grace. And so grace really is at the heart of this chapter. Grace is the way that Boaz responds to Ruth. And certainly Ruth understands grace. She realizes she's not owed anything by anybody. She does not sit around whining about her poor lot in life. She's not using the fact that it could be difficult for me to go out. It, it could, I'm at a disadvantage. I'm not an Israelite. She doesn't use that as an excuse. But she faces the day trusting in the God that she came to worship. In chapter 1, the God of Israel. She understands grace. We get into trouble sometimes, don't we? When we assume certain things. Maybe we expect something to occur because someone has done something good for us in the past. Sometimes we might even begin to think that someone owes us something. We forget about grace. And we never want to treat God that way, do we? That we think God owes us something. We don't want to demand what we think he owes us. Because that will get us in a lot of trouble, won't it? (laughs) Because we are totally undeserving in his presence. It's easy to forget that all that we have is by God's grace. Remember Job's first response when he had lost everything. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job realized he came into the world with nothing. He'll leave the world with nothing. And anything that he received in between his birth and his death was totally a gift. Given to him by God. No entitlement in Job. And even if there's a reward for our faithfulness, and I like the fact that Boaz wishes for this reward in return for what she has done for her covenant faithfulness, she she asked that God would repay her for that and give her this reward. Even that, Ruth realizes, comes from the hand of God. None of us will stand before God in the day of judgment and say, finally, I'm getting what I deserve. You don't want to stand before God with that attitude because all that we really deserve apart from Christ is his judgment. It's all grace. If you found grace in your life, It should be very humbling, and you should be wanting to live a life of grace.
Be thankful when people show you grace. Become a person who shows grace to other people. And so we've seen this morning that God works through circumstances. He works through other people. He works even through the efforts of Ruth to provide food, to provide exactly what Ruth and Naomi need in this situation. They faced a crisis. They needed food. Ruth faced the day full of uncertainties, fearful of what would happen. And yet God provided for them individually, provided Ruth and Naomi, the food that they needed. But there's something else, something more going on in this story. Not only is God working out His purposes to provide for the individual situation of of, of Ruth and Naomi, God is also working out His purposes to provide for His people. It's amazing. That God's working through the individual Ruth and Naomi, these individuals, but through that he is going to provide for his people. There's always a big picture with God. Always a broader purpose that we don't see. And we don't see it sometimes because we're just limited in our human perspective. And God knows everything. He sees everything because he is the one working out his purposes in everything. Sometimes it might be because of tunnel vision. But God directs Ruth to the field of Boaz. And to get a hint of what's coming, you see it in verse 20. When Naomi identifies Boaz as one of her redeemers. And so not only will Boaz, not only does Boaz provide for Ruth and Naomi food, but Boaz is also going to become a redeemer, and you probably know the story already, I'm sure, but he's going to marry Ruth, and they're going to raise up the name of, of Ruth's dead husband. That's a part of what's going on in the story. And that child that is born to, to Boaz and Ruth is going to be in the line of David. Read the genealogy at the end of the book. And that child born to Boaz and Ruth, who's who's a part of the genealogy of David, is also a part of the genealogy of the Messiah, who's coming. Jesus Christ. It's amazing. God works through the crisis of Naomi and Ruth, not only to provide for them, to provide for his people. There's much more going on in our lives than just our individual uncertainty situations, our individual crisis. God is working out his purposes for us, yes, but also for his kingdom, for his people, for the church. God works through our lives to accomplish his purposes for us as individuals, but also for his church. We serve a God who's in the process of establishing his kingdom. And he uses us as a part of his purpose. Our trials are an opportunity for God to work. Your life counts for a greater purpose than you can ever imagine. If you are in Christ and you're trying to live your life for Christ, your life counts for a greater purpose than, than you can imagine because your life and the trials of your life will resound one day to the glory of God. Be encouraged. 
because nothing will be wasted in the life of a child of God because we serve a great and glorious God. Be encouraged. And be encouraged as a church because Paul reminds us that God gave, this is Ephesians chapter 1, God gave Christ as head over all things. Christ rules over everything to the church, for the church. Be encouraged. Have faith. Not only in your individual lives, but in the lives of this congregation that God will work out His good purposes. Trust Him to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we don't see the big picture, you do. And we thank you that in our times of uncertainty, we can have faith. And we pray that you would help us to receive the grace that you so abundantly give and to live that grace out in our lives, that you would use us in the lives of others to further your kingdom. We pray this. In the name of Christ, our Savior, amen. Let's stand and sing hymn number 679.